You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Art museums offer us a really great way to learn about ourselves and the world through fine works of art by master artists. But a lot of them also struggle with the fact that most of the pieces in their in their collections are the product of white men or women. How should art museums address this problem? The easy answer might be to acquire more art by minority and underrepresented artists. But how do you do that? And with what money? The Baltimore Museum of Art is confronting this issue head on right now. And they're doing it by selling works of art by famous artists, including people like Andy Warhol. Is this the right approach? And should it be replicated elsewhere? Could it be replicated right here in Detroit? We're going to spend the rest of the time today talking about art and diversity. And joining us first to discuss what's going on in Baltimore is Chris Bedford, who is the director of the Baltimore Museum of Art. Chris, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what you guys are doing at the BMA to increase diversity among the collection there. Sure. Uh, so I would say that it's part of a five-part strategy for institutional change at the Baltimore Museum of Art. So uh, we find ourselves in a black majority city. This is a 68% black city. Mm -hmm. um, it, it also happens that my background over almost a decade uh, does focus on the work of African-American artists working in both a figurative mode and an abstract mode. Um, and I think that work by black Americans is actually the leading edge of contemporary art today. And so the BMA has a long history of investment in excellence in the avant-garde. Mm -hmm. And so just on, on that basis alone, it leads, leads you to double down on the work of African-American artists working today. Um, but, I, but I think in, in terms of building the collection specifically, um, obviously institutions like the BMA face a considerable challenge. The contemporary art market is a, a very, very aggressive one. Mm -hmm. um, we see prices specifically for work by African-American artists like Terry James Marshall, uh, Julie Meritu, Mark Bradford, um, others, skyrocketing. Yeah. And that's a consequence of private collectors for the first time really historically prioritizing that work over the work of um, white artists. So the question is, how do you adequately compete with those private collectors so that the greatest works of art being made by those leading artists today are brought into public collections for the public trust? Yeah. Um, so, so we at the BMA made the determination that we wanted to become differently relevant to the city of Baltimore in all categories. So exhibitions, acquisitions, public programs, staff, and board a consistent change at every level, uh, with acquisitions being possibly the most financially challenging. Yeah. So uh, we, made, we made the, not difficult, but I think strategic decision to look at our holdings in post-war art according to the standards set forth by organizations like AAMB um, that govern the way institutions buy and sell art. Uh, we wanted to achieve relevance. We wanted to generate excitement. We wanted to drive a diverse audience to the museum. And so looking at our collection, we found a great deal of duplication and triplication um, of work by 
principally and predictably white men uh, from the post-war period to the present. So Franz Klein, Jules Zelitsky, uh, Andy Warhol among them. And we made the determination that those works were expensive to store, rarely, rarely seen, uh, didn't add considerably to the story that we were able to tell as an institution. And um, so as a staff and as a board, we made the actually unanimous decision uh, to deaccession, meaning to sell, those objects at auction to create a kind of war chest to diversify our collection, um, understanding that for decades and decades, the BMA's collection, like many collections, was assembled with both bias and unconscious bias in the background. Mm. Um, so in this case, we decided that we have an obligation to this city to tell a different story um, and to correct the errors of the past. So we, we're on that course now. Yeah, That's a long answer to your question. No, no, no. I, I appreciate the, the, the depth there. Uh, but, but tell us, so you're selling... Uh, art by people like Andy Warhol, I, that 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 has to even for even though it's for great reason, that has to raise the hackles of some folks there in in Baltimore. The idea of getting rid of art in order to bring new pieces in. Talk about how that's sort of unfolded. Yeah. So so the the honest answer there is that we actually have not received a tremendous amount of resistance to the idea. Hmm. And I would say that um, probably that is a consequence of the fact that we are, as an institution, incredibly, incredibly deep in work by Andy Warhol. So um, I I believe, and of course you, (laughs) I was going to say don't quote me on this, but I'm live on radio. So (laughs) I believe we have have something like 17, 18 major paintings by Andy Warhol, Uh um, many of which are on permanent view. The two that we chose to deaccession are not objects that were on uh, constant view, and either as a consequence of quality or scale would probably not enjoy that kind of exposure period. Mm-hmm. So these these were these were objects that would remain in storage irrespective. Um, so we, we the decision to sell them wasn't actually a detriment to the story we're able to tell about Warhol's development. We already had the materials to do that. So it was a very it's a very specific case. And I think AEMD, the organization that governs all of this activity, um, really really emphasizes this question of redundancy and duplication and triplication, and that's the, the first criteria to think about deaccessioning, and uh, our holdings in Warhol more than met that criteria. Yeah. Uh, do, do you feel like this is something that other museums and other cities could look at and sort of replicate? I mean, this is a question that many museums yeah. are thinking about. Is this, uh, is this yeah. a solution? I mean, I, I believe so, provided that your collection has the depth sufficient to provide the, the presumptive capital to do that kind of work. So mm-hmm. I would not advocate for doing something like this if you have only one work by Warhol in your collection. I think that would be irresponsible stewardship of the museum. But uh-huh. if you have substantial, substantial depth, you have measurable redundancy, and you are struggling to achieve relevance with a diverse audience, then absolutely, I believe it is, it is the job fundamentally of a museum director to achieve relevance and to serve the public good. Yeah. And um, if, if you believe that the action you're taking is meeting those two criteria, then I, 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 categorically, I believe, that's the direction to move. 
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Chris Bedford. He's the director of the Baltimore Museum of Art. We're talking about art museums and their efforts to diversify collections that historically have been mostly made up of work by white men. Uh, there in Baltimore, they are selling some works by white artists and acquiring works by artists of color and women. Uh, we're going to talk a little later to someone from the DIA here in Detroit about how they're confronting that challenge. But uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think about the collections in our art museums. Should they be more diverse? Should museums be taking extraordinary measures, uh, efforts, to try to diversify those collections? What would you support them doing, for instance, here in Detroit to change the collection at the DIA? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Chris, I I asked you earlier about negative reaction to what uh, you were doing. Uh, I'm also curious about whether there's positive reaction there from the community in Baltimore. Is this something that uh, that that Baltimoreans are saying, hey, it's about time we had this happen at the BMA? Yeah, that's that's actually an excellent question. Um, so I we, we are very fortunate to have um, Amy Sherald, who is a um, much-heralded portrait painter yes. on our board. She is the artist responsible for Michelle Obama's um, recent portrait, as you know, and she is an artist based in Baltimore. And um, I was having a conversation with her about the various different actions we're taking at the museum to ensure a different kind of relevance here, among them the deaccessioning. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I mentioned that I felt the city in all of its constituent parts, both uh, sort of lay people and specialists, as well as artists and scholars, were, were ready to see the BMA move in this direction. And she very gently corrected me and said, um, you're doing all the right things, but actually you're wrong in that conclusion. Hmm. The truth is that for decades this city has been ready for somebody to take that action. So, it, yeah, it's wonderful that it's coming, but it's been a long time coming. Hmm. So I, I thought that, that, was a, that was a very sobering moment. Yeah. Um, yeah in the conversation, I'll, I'll say that the artist community, the creative community in Baltimore is extremely rich and unusual. So um, I have never I've never personally had the experience of being able to work um, with locally based artists with, with incredible excitement right. um, and, and, and anticipation without the necessity to um, to some extent, compromise the standards of excellence that structure um, institutional protocols. So, in the in the case of in the case of Baltimore, the the standard of art being produced here is incredibly high, and the artists are very opinionated and very engaged. And those artists have been have been incredibly supportive both of our programming and this deaccessioning effort. So, I I take that to be a mark of distinction and real achievement for the museum. Hmm. Okay, Chris Bedford, director of the Baltimore Museum of Art. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. My pleasure. 
Up next, the DIA has also taken diversity among its artists into strong consideration. We're going to talk to the head curator of African American Art next about what is going on in our own museum. Also, remember, if you want to join the conversation, talk about the collection at the DIA. What would you like to see in terms of changes for diversity's sake? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about art museums in America and their efforts to diversify their collections. For decades, of course, art museums were stocked with pieces by white Americans. Increasingly, they are looking to make it a a more colorful collection, include more pieces by artists of color and women who have been locked out of art museums for a long time. We talked with the head of the Baltimore Museum of Art about their efforts to sell some works by white artists in order to acquire work by artists of color. Joining us now to talk about what is happening here in Detroit is Valerie Mercer, who is the curator and department head of the General Motors Center for African American Art at the Detroit Institute of Arts. Valerie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's always great to see you. Um, So I, I quickly want to get your thoughts about what they're doing in Baltimore and whether that's something that you think could happen here in Detroit? Well, um, I think any lots of things are possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when I first read the story about uh, what uh, Christopher Beckford was doing at the Baltimore Museum, I thought it was so fantastic mm. and still feel that way and hope that some other museums follow suit um, because I thought it was... Uh, very smart, imaginative, and and to some extent brave, because mm-hmm. I know people can get a lot of flack for doing something very different, even w- when it makes sense. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the DIA, I am the curator of um, uh, the General Motors Center for African American Art, mm-hmm. and what we do there uh, really hasn't been duplicated at most American fine art museums. In that, um, you know, we have, what, five galleries devoted to African-American art mm-hmm. in order to teach people about the um, art history for African-American art. When I first came there, people would talk to me as though African-American artists just started making art. <laughs> right. And I was floored. And then there were, you know, 19th century paintings that were really in storage or in people's offices, and they were really very valuable paintings. Um, And Graham Beale, the former director, it was his idea to hire a curator for African-American art. And he basically gave me permission to have galleries for African-American art Mm -hmm. when we were moving toward our reinstallation project that was unveiled in 2007. So, you know, they're very unique, um, us doing that. And then, you know, Graham helped me um, you know, any curator in my position would need the support of their director, and Graham did give me that. And Salvador Salora Pons, our current director, has been doing that as well. Um, 
And so it's just been um, wonderful. But yeah. we, we're doing something different because we're in Detroit versus, you know, being in Baltimore. Sure. And each situation is different. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, as someone mm-hmm. who grew up here going to the DIA sure. and, and, of course, now still really enjoy visiting the museum, I, I mean, I can say that, that you walk through the museum and, and you are struck by how much art sure. we have by African-American uh, artists and, and how much art really reflects the African-American uh, experience or sensibility. I mean, you think of the, the, the unbelievable Kahindi Wiley piece that we have that, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you can't walk Very through the museum popular. and not have that make an impression uh, on you. Uh, the mural that uh, that sits outside uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the gallery. Um, uh, oh, the, is, the, the, is that the Romeo Beard? The, 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 the Beard, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's yeah. unbelievable. Uh, sure. and, and so, I mean, it's a different question here than it is in some other places, I think, about how to, how to diversify, right? Yeah, and I think especially in cities like uh, Detroit and, of course, Baltimore, where you have such a high... Um, percentage of an african-american you know constituency Mm -hmm. uh you have to do something uh uh, forward thinking and imaginative to uh bring that um population into the museum yeah but a very um you know significant thing to do is to have their culture reflected in the museum's collection that is on view and that's what you know, Graham thought about in starting the department. Sure, sure. So uh, it's been very, you know, exciting for us and to see that how the um, public has responded uh, to that. Uh, but these are really always, you know, ongoing efforts, I think, too, for museums to be relevant. That's really crucial. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much, um, I think, uh, fortunately, um, pressure to be relevant, become relevant, stay relevant, <laughs> because, you know, American culture, just living in America, things change yeah. uh, rapidly, and especially with pretty much every generation. They see the world, um, they see race uh, very differently. Differently, sure. I, I find, you know, when, when I worked on 30 Americans and installing that for the museum, I mean, so much of the young people at the museum white and black were so excited about that <laughs> what, what i thought was so interesting you know they would say things to me <laughs> i never i never heard them act so excited about installing <laughs> a show it was like they were having such a ball and yeah. they would say things to me like but this is about me that's why i love working on this show yeah. gallery. this is about me and these would be young white people and i would think that's fantastic for them to feel that way, you yeah. know, and they said, this is my generation, but th- these are issues I know about. And I thought, I-, I would doubt you would have heard that, you know, like 20 or 30 years sure, ago, but sure. this is how, you know, a younger generation feels. So, you, you know, but, but, but it's really been um, long overdue, I think. And uh, so, so I just admired when I read that story uh, about what, um, Christopher Beckford was doing, I just thought, oh, I admire this man tremendously. And I hope it, you know, has, you know, inspires others to do something. To think more creatively as well. Yeah, just because um, it's just so important when you're in uh, 
uh, cities with a black, such a huge black population. But it's also, I think, not only that, I think it needs to happen in a lot of places where maybe the black population isn't so high. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's about educating it's, people. black art is not just for black people. It's for, exactly. for everybody. And right? they are definitely become, they are really like the stars, uh, quite a number of them in the art world today, which I'm just th so thrilled to see, you know, people like Kerry James Marshall, uh, you know, uh, Kahinda Wiley, Micheline Thomas, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of them we have on view, Rashid Johnson. There's just so many of them. And uh, this in itself, too, is so long overdue, you know. But yeah. when you have these sh shows, I mean, a lot of our audiences that show up for even when the shows are emphasizing um, these work by these artists, the sh the what audiences shows up is so diverse. Yeah. It's diverse in yeah. race and diverse in age. And that makes us very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Vince in Royal Oak. Vince, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Thanks, Stephen. Hey, sure. um, hi, Valerie. Um, hi. We actually have met uh, in the Mackinac <laughs> uh, when there was an art uh, fair that we juried together. Oh, I think sure. you're doing an excellent job at the DIA at the museum. Um, has a, an excellent collection of contemporary African-American art. I think one of the most interesting things about it is the way in which uh, African-American art isn't just in that space. It's in the modern Thank collection, you. you know, Martin Currier, mm -hmm. um, Charles McGee. That's an amazing yes. piece of work that has been there for years. So um, I think people should be coming to Detroit and talking to you about how to handle this. Mm. Uh, the 30 American show was, was awesome. Thank of course, you. you know, Mario Moore, local guy, was yes. in it. And yes. so I just say, you know, it's not really a question other than, you know, what's next? <laughs> right, right. Uh, Vince, very, uh, Thank you so thanks much, very Vince. much for the call uh, and the comments. Uh, I, I mean, I think that that's a, a great reflection of the sensibility that we have at the museum here, that uh, that things are actually very reflective of, of, of the city's population. Yeah. Vince, thanks very much. Uh, let's go to Tim in Detroit before we uh, have to end the show here. Tim, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, this is, yeah. I think that's a, it's an excellent idea to include uh, contemporary black artists because really it kind of, uh, kind of reminds me of uh, Egypt. You know, Detroit changes and, and the hmm. population converts. You know, Egypt today, you look at Egypt and you think those people are always there, but then you look <laughs> at the statue and the frescoes that lets people know that originally they were black people. Hmm. Hmm. Boy, uh, Tim, that's an interesting, it's a very interesting analogy uh, between Detroit and Egypt and, and talking about change, change over time and the way a city and its, uh, and its population uh, changes. So I, I really appreciate uh, that call as well. All right. Uh, Valerie Mercer, curator and department head of the General Motors Center for African-American Art at the Detroit Institute of Arts. It is always great to talk with you about uh, art here in the city of Detroit. Thanks for being here. I feel the same way, Steve. Always good to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Also, remember, get out and join our WDET Summer Book Club. Uh, we are reading Matthew Desmond's Pulitzer Prize winning book, Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City, and talking about housing insecurity issues here 
in southeast Michigan. Think of not just eviction, but also foreclosure, tax foreclosure. Think of the issues that we have with people who are forced to squat uh, in houses here in the city of Detroit. We're talking about all of those things. We've been talking about it all summer, and we're going to continue next Wednesday, August 15th, at the Ferndale area. District Library at 6:30 p.m. We are going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about insecurity in terms of housing. We're going to talk about race and how it figures in to insecurity uh, in places like Ferndale. We also have a later uh, book event, book club event at the, the Gross Point War Memorial, uh, where we're going to talk a little more about race as well. And then at the end of the summer, we're going to have a big event at the Detroit Public Library where we're going to bring everyone together to talk about those issues here in Southeast Michigan. So you can go to WDET.org and get more information about the book club. You can also go to Facebook and join the Detroit Today Summer Book Club uh, online and talk about those issues there. Uh, This is uh, 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. We'll see you then.